hosts of Common Sense Investing have been helping their clients and listeners make sense of the markets for nearly three decades. Using a conservative, diversified, value-oriented approach to investing, they strive to make you a better educated, well-informed investor. And now here's your host, Eric Whiteman. Well, thank you and welcome to this edition of Common Sense Investing. I'm your host, Eric Whiteman, partner here at the XML Financial Group. So glad you could join me today. I have a few housekeeping items that I want to take care of before we kick it off here today. I tell you, we have a lot of good stuff happening here. First, I want to congratulate Brett Bernstein. Brett made it onto Forbes' list of best in-state advisors for Maryland. And this isn't a list that you pay to get on. No, this is the real deal. So it's quite an achievement. And congratulations to Brett for making it on that Forbes list. Next, I want to welcome Michelle Cooper. Michelle joins us with over 25 years of experience in estate planning, finance, taxes. She's a lawyer, an MBA. She has all kinds of letter after her name. So you know that she's really smart. And she's head of our XMLW division, which focuses on planning and the financial needs of women at all stages of, her, of their lives. Really a welcome addition to what we're doing here. So glad to have you on board, Michelle. And lastly, you can come out and meet us. I said last week we're having a party. We're having a big social event. It's going to be on April 17th. If you're a client or if you've signed up on our mailing list, well, you've already received a save the date. We're going to be sending out the actual invites in just a couple of weeks. So if you haven't got it, don't worry. They haven't gone out yet. You've gotten to save the date. It's going to be in Rockville and we're having Rudy Maxa come out and talk to us. Rudy, he's the, the fellow that has that travel show on PBS called Rudy Max's World. It should be a great evening. If you want to come, make sure you reach out to us, sign up for our newsletter, or you can email me at podcast at xmlfg.com. Podcast, which is plural, at xmlfg.com. I'll tell you, like I said, we got a lot of good stuff happening around here at XML. Today, we're going to be talking about the markets, why dividends matter, and one of my favorite stocks. Now, when we talk about stocks or any investment, really, well, you know, you have to do your own research. You just can't buy something because you heard me talk about it on the show, or maybe you read a good article in a magazine, something like that. No, you need to do your own research. Make sure it's appropriate for you. Let's talk about the markets. Last week, the markets took a little dip. And it was in response to the announcement by President Trump that the U.S. will impose tariffs on steel and aluminum imports. And investors are worried that U.S. companies are going to have to pay more for steel and aluminum and things like cars, trucks, planes, beer cans, and that these costs will likely get passed on to consumers. They're also worried that other countries are going to retaliate with their own levies and that will hurt U.S. exports and, of course, not be good for stocks. Commerce uh, Secretary Wilbur Ross, he said he thinks the level of retaliation will be minimal. I think it's all part of a negotiation process. We're also dealing with the possibility of higher inflation, higher interest rates, and the possibility of more aggressive monetary policy. Federal Reserve Chairman Powell 
he spoke and he indicated that there'll be three 25 basis point rate hikes this year and an outside chance of a fourth. And I'm leaning towards four. On the plus side of things, well, the economy's doing pretty well and unemployment is low. So last week, all the headlines were about trade and interest rates, but the weak market technicals also played a role in last week's decline, in my opinion. I've been saying that I think we are in a consolidation phase and we could very well retest the lows again. What would make me change my mind? Well, that would be a couple of days of up, uh, strong upside volume. These mini rallies that we've been seeing have all been on lighter type volume. The breadth of the market would also need to improve. I would need to see more than 60% of the stocks trading above their 50-day moving average. And right now, that number is more like 30, 35%. I'm also concerned with sediment. With the uptick in volatility, you would think that people would become more pessimistic. But you know what? We haven't seen it. You usually find an element of fear when the market's put in a low, and that's something that's been missing. Summing it all up, we need to exercise some caution and let the fundamentals drive drive our decisions. As always, be value-oriented. If you're buying good companies at reasonable prices, you should do okay over the long term. But if you're paying too much, For questionable companies that happen to look good at the moment, that's when you're probably going to get in trouble. Let's talk about dividends. Dividends matter. Since January 1st of 2008, the market is up almost 90%, somewhere around there. And since the beginning of 2016, over the last two years, the market's up well over 30%. The focus has been on flat out growth. I want to start thinking about total return for the long term. I may be admittedly early here, but I'd rather be early than way too late. We've gone through this period where investors are willing to pay up for potential growth. And that's been right. Almost everything has gone up the last couple of years. And if you've listened to the show before, you know that I suspect it'll continue to do pretty well over the next year or so. I said during our annual outlook that I don't think problems will show up until next year. Well, you know what? I'm actually extending that out a bit because of the tax reform and the potential spending bills we have on the plate. We probably don't run into trouble until very late next year or even early 2020. Who knows? Maybe the Fed makes a huge mistake. Maybe there's a black swan event. I'm not going to try and time the market because I just can't do it. I don't know anyone who can on a consistent basis. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to focus on the fundamentals. But it seems to me like the markets are almost exclusively focused on earnings growth and they're ignoring dividends. There are times where dividends matter less and times when they matter more. For example, for example, during the late 90s, early 2000s, investors were focused on growth and they com- completely ignored dividends. Who needed them after all? You could go out and you could buy the hot IPO and double your money in a few hours. Well, that wasn't until you couldn't. On a long-term basis, 
the total return of a stock comes from four components. And this is important that you understand this, really understand it. On a long-term basis, the total return of a stock comes from basically four components, the dividend yield, the growth of the dividend, the growth in earnings, and then finally the speculative part called the change in valuations or what people are willing to pay for a dollar of earnings. That's what's going to determine to determine what you're going to make on your stock investment. There are numerous studies that use different time periods and methods for calculating the actual amount of return dividends are responsible for. I saw one the other day when I was looking for stuff for this piece. I saw one the other day from a mutual fund company that says from 1802, that's right, 1802, a more than 200-year time period that dividends plus real growth in dividends accounted for more than 5.8% of the total 7.9% annualized return during that time. A significant amount. Those numbers are pretty compelling. My only issue with it is, is that I don't have a time, a 200 year time frame. My point is, is that I've never seen a long-term study that has really said anything different. Dividends do matter over the long term. A focus on dividend payers, if you really believe that on a long-term basis, your overall returns are going to be dictated by the dividend. The focus on dividend payers will naturally lead you to the ownership of our type of companies. And I mean ownership, long-term buy and hold, so that you benefit from the growth in the dividends. If you really think about the formula and the fact that maybe 60% of total returns come from dividends, then you'll get focused on what's important in stock selection. And that is, number one, how much cash does a stock generate? In other words, what's the real earnings of the company that I call free cash flow? Because that's what they're able to pay the dividends from. And number question number two that you're going to focus on is how predictable are these cash flows? That's real important. Let's go back to number one. How much uh, free cash flow does a company generate? You can go to the company's annual report or their quarterly earnings report. Hey, the internet makes all this easy now. Once you have these documents, once you have the annual report, you want to look at the consolidated statements of free, of cash flows. And you need to understand how the numbers work on that statement. It, it really is simple. You can do it yourself. In the consolidated statements of cash flow, if you do it right, you're going to see over a three-year period how much free cash flow they're generating. And I would use that three-year average because one year, well, that can get distorted. But what I really want to focus this discussion on is number two, how predictable are the free cash flows? You're going to use some common sense here. At least I hope so. You're going to look into the future and you try and determine what the level of free cash flow is going to be in five years. A food type company is pretty easy. Let's take Pepsi for an example. You've got to figure that management will be reasonably intelligent enough to defend to defend the brand name. And they will. Thus, it isn't a heroic assumption to figure that 
free cash flow growth of X percent a year will occur because of population growth plus increased efficiency, maybe even gaining some market share from Coca-Cola and other snack makers. With a bank, it's pretty close to the same thing. Population growth, growth in savings, growth in the economy. Well, that's going to translate into growing free cash flow. With the rails, the railroads, the growth of the economy will dictate how rapidly free cash flow goes. But with something like Snapchat, I don't think you really have any idea. You really have no idea of what their cash flow is going to be in five years. And at least in Snapchat's case, you don't know what their business model is going to be in five years. So a serious investor is going to exclude these companies from their portfolios or at least keep them to a bare minimum. And it's because of the lack of predictability. That's the killer. If the company goes away in five years, well, so does your dividend. And so does your portfolio returns or a good deal of it. A focus on dividends and free cash flow will lead you to examine the balance sheet. High leverage can kill you. Or at the very least, it can divert the cash flow towards debt service instead of paying the dividend, which, again, is extremely important. A focus on predictability will cause you to examine all kinds of fundamental factors like it's like a company's competitive position. If it's a low cost producer or low cost provider, how much do they spend on R&D and on and on? Another reason to focus on dividends is their spendability. You can count on them. It It can help you pay the bills. Start the stock market can take capital appreciation away from you in five minutes, but the dividend is already in your pocket and they can't take that back. High dividends tend to reduce the downside risk, in my opinion, meaning they shouldn't fall very far in a market decline. Those companies that pay nice growing dividends. If if the stock market declines, say 20%, and you have high quality companies paying well-covered three, 4% dividends, well, I think people would be clamoring to buy those types of stocks. Listen, we've come up to the break. We need to step away. When we come back, we'll be talking about one of my favorite stocks. This is Eric Whiteman for Common Sense Investing. We are back in a moment. You've worked hard. You've saved and invested. Now you want to make sure all your hard work pays off. Now's the time to start planning for that future. Hi, this is Eric Whiteman of the XML Financial Group. No two people have the same goals and values. We can help you craft a framework for making a lifetime of smart financial decisions that's right for you. Now's the time to get the advice you deserve. Call us at 301-770-5234. Well, thank you and welcome back to today's edition of Common Sense Investing. I'm your host, Eric Whiteman, and today we're going to revisit a special situation. Now, remember, when I talk about stocks or investments in general, well, You just don't go out and buy them. You always want to make sure you do your own homework. And for those of you who have listened to me over the years, you remember that I used to do a segment on my shows called Special Situations. This is something that I do now and again, and it's a bit of a departure from the 
quote unquote normal value ideas I talk about. They're still value oriented. That's always going to be the case, but there's something special about them. And the one I'm talking about today is Time Warner, symbol TWX, trading just around $94. TWX is a media and entertainment company that has a variety of brands like TBS, TNT, HBO, CNN, Cinemax, Warner Brothers, and they have some others too. The other part of this story is AT&T, symbol T. You don't need me to tell you who AT&T is. Now, back in October of 2016, Time Warner agreed to be acquired by AT&T in a cash and stock deal worth about $85 billion at that time. And here's where it gets interesting. This past November, after a lengthy review, the Department of Justice filed a lawsuit to block the merger. But instead of walking away and calling it quits, AT&T and Time Warner decided they were going to fight the ruling and go to court. And the trial's expected to start in a couple of weeks. Uh, March 19th, I think, is the exact date. Now, I'm not a lawyer, and there's tons of stuff written on this, so I'm going to keep it fairly brief here. In short, the DOJ says that if the deal goes through, AT&T will use its control over Time Warner to force rivals to pay hundreds of millions of dollars more, and it would reduce innovation and ultimately raise costs to customers. In my opinion, the DOJ is going to have a high burden of proof to substantiate these claims. There's very little precedent for them to block a merger of, uh, of this type, a vertical type merger. Who knows? It's probably a coin toss. But even if the merger doesn't happen, I think TWX is a good value under $94. When the deal was announced, the, tr- the stock was trading at about $80. Then it shot up to about 104 where it topped out. Then it went back down to the low 90s when it was announced that the DOJ opposed the deal. So it's been on a roller coaster ride, but it's still up 17% since the initial takeover offer. But to put it in perspective, the market is up over 30% during that time. So it's lagged the broad market and it's underperformed its peers. I think TWX is a formidable player. It has a strong portfolio of businesses, healthy margins, good free cash flow, and they have a strong balance sheet. With the consensus earnings estimates for this year sitting at around 650 a share, the stock is trading at about 14 times earnings, which is darn close to the bottom of the range where it's traded over the last 15 years. Yes, it's been down to 12, 13 times, but that's also when interest rates were much higher. Relative to the market, it's about as cheap as it's been over the last 15 years. To me, it seems cheaper than its peers. And I think that it's the overhang from the DOJ lawsuit that's causing that. But even as a standalone company, I think they'll continue to produce good numbers. When you do your own research on it, Look at the terms of the deals because part of it's in cash and part of it is in AT&T stock, which is subject to a collar. Now, I know that's all a bit wonky, but the current value of the deal 
is around $107, or that's about a 14, 15% upside from here. And with the stock trading near its historical lows valuation-wise, I think it offers a good risk-reward scenario. I'm an owner and a buyer under $94. And that's about all the time we have for today. We'll be back next Wednesday. Until then, remember, it's just as important to protect your assets as it is to grow. Okay, you've listened to the show. Now it's time for the really good stuff. So listen up. It's the disclosures. The things I talked about during the show, well, they're just my opinion and may or may not necessarily be those of the XML Financial Group. Don't construe this as personalized advice or a solicitation to buy or sell a security. No, no. You should consult your own financial advisor to see if it's appropriate for you. It's also not a substitute for tax or legal advice. I'd suggest you get someone who's qualified in these areas so you can get the advice you deserve. When you're talking about asset allocation, diversification, rebalancing, they don't guarantee better results and they don't eliminate the risk of losses. In investing, there are no guarantees. Just because you use these strategies doesn't mean you'll outperform someone or something who doesn't. XML Financial LLC is an independent registered investment advisor.